Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio.
JB, unfortunately, we were both incorrect. All the Jets fans were incorrect. Mr. Rex Ryan was incorrect. We were hoping. I know that I definitely, even though I'm a Giants fan, I was rooting for the for the Jets for your sake and, you know, for my dad, who's also a big Jets fan. Disappointed, JB, but, I mean, we can always get into this uh, later on if time allows or possibly on Thursday after we, uh, we finish with Pyro, but you know what? The, for whatever reason, the Jets couldn't get the job done. It was a tale of two halves, folks. They were awful. They were off in the first half, dominated by Pittsburgh, and they came back and didn't have JB. If they play like that for even three quarters, for even three quarters, Jets would have won, and we wouldn't be having this conversation right now, sir. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, it definitely was a tale of two halves, and um, you know, obviously the backbreaker was when you know Sanchez got sacked and basically lost the ball, and Pittsburgh went up twenty-four nothing. Um, that was probably the um, you know the final nail. I mean, it's hard to overcome 24 points, especially on the road, and in Pittsburgh. So um, unfortunately, again, the Jets season ends again, and now they face a lot of you know a lot of question marks, obviously, like most teams do. And um, you know they have 17 yeah. free agents. They have 17 free agents that they have to worry about. The, you know whether or not they want to sign all of them. I don't think they have to. And, and obviously, they're going to be able to sign other free agents because you know. All of a sudden, everyone loves to play for the Jets. You know, everyone's in love with Rex Ryan and his coaching. So, GG, um, I think our guest is on the air. Yes, folks, we have with us live, and I'm about to introduce him. He is the creator, folks, the founder of the IWF, the Independent Wrestling Federation of Woodland Park, or as I like to call it, West Patterson, New Jersey. This man has appeared on WWE television. It is an honor and a privilege, folks. Our first guest of 2011, Mr. Kevin Knight. Kevin, how are you doing? Let's go Jets. I'm doing good. Thank you. Steelers, but what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, folks, I'm stuck between two Jets fans, and, uh, you know, I know you guys are not too happy, but maybe we can get into that, you know, later on in the interview. Kevin, again, it's an honor and a privilege to have you on the air. Uh, you just finished class, am I right? That's correct. We have class here at IWF Wrestling School in the town that has been renamed to Woodland Park, New Jersey. We have class here every Tuesday night, every Wednesday night, Saturday and Sunday afternoons. This is where we make sure our participants in the wrestling program, whether you are a wrestler, referee, manager, or diva, you are prepared 1,000%. This way, when a student graduates from IWF Wrestling School and makes their way throughout the ranks of the independent wrestling circuit throughout the country, that they are as well-trained as humanly possible. Well, Kevin, um, we actually have quite a few questions lined up for you, and I'd like to get into that since you brought that up. But uh, before we get into that, before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I wanted to be a wrestler growing up or as a kid. Tell us what Kevin Knight was like as a as a little Kevin Knight. Well, I guess I was. Uh, it was back in 1984, the first match that caught my eye. My older brother and sister were in the living room watching the World Wrestling Federation event from Madison Square Garden, and I happened to pass by the TV as the Iron Sheik was getting ready to take on Sergeant Slaughter. In a boot camp match, May 1984 from Madison Square Garden, and once I saw that match, I was instantly hooked and said, that's what I'm going to do, and here we are uh, 26 years later. Never did the amateur wrestling. I was uh, baseball and basketball and uh, also officiated every sport, always involved in sports, playing sports, and um it wasn't until about maybe 12 years after that, 1996, is when I had my first introduction to professional wrestling. So that was it. Iron Sheik, Sergeant Slaughter, boot camp match. I was uh, instantly, uh, that's when the grades started to go down, too. Like, the more I got interested in watching <laughs> professional wrestling, that was all that mattered. Uh, no matter what I was doing, even while playing other sports, I, I somehow had that in the back of my mind that this is what I was going to do. And then, 1996, that's when I uh, took my first step to get involved uh, in being a professional wrestler. All right, Kevin. This is uh, JB of uh, Pure Gold. Just wondering, who was your favorite wrestler growing up? 
I would say, uh, I mean, obviously Hulk Hogan, who wasn't into Hulk Hogan. Yes. But also uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. I loved uh, Ric Flair, the Four Horsemen. I loved the NWA style of wrestling. It was a little bit more hard-hitting, a little less cartoonish. But, of course, you know, the WWF was the biggest and the best, uh, you know, they had something different to offer than the NWA. It was more entertainment. I liked them both, but I would say those three, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, uh, Roddy Piper, you know, as well as the, the guys in the Four Horsemen were the ones that I liked. They uh, connected with me as a fan and um, people I still uh, emulate to this very day. And um, who would you say is currently your favorite wrestler on TV? I like watching uh, Randy Orton, Edge, Triple oh. H, uh, Undertaker, I mean, until most recently uh, his retirement, Shawn Michaels, uh, Chris Jericho. I like the old school guys that are, are still around today because they've been able to adapt to the current times and the current style and evolve their character and continue to connect uh, to today's audience. So those are the guys that I admire and that I enjoy watching and also learn from, you know, what they do in the ring. Uh, you know, it's funny you mentioned Hulk Hogan and Rick Fernald them because I don't even know why, but I'm actually wearing a Hulk Hogan shirt today. <laughs> I went to work and I, you know, threw this bad boy on. I figured it, it was fitting considering the interview. Um, I have a question for you, uh, Kevin. What would you say is your – you mentioned the boot camp match. Maybe that, that's going to answer this question. But what was your all-time favorite match um, that you've actually had not one that you that you want, but if you had to pick just one, what would you say is your favorite? A match that I was in? Yeah, yeah, one of, one of your matches. Oh, one of my favorite matches. Um, I've been very lucky over uh, my 14, 15-year wrestling career to have wrestled many uh, Hall of Famers and legends and former WWE champions from Bob Backlund to Tito Santana. Wow. Honky Tonk Man, Larry Zabisco, Jim the Anvil Neidhart, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, John Bradshaw Layfield, um, Dr. Tom Pritchard, Chris Candido, uh, Salvatore Sincere, The Patriot, uh, Nicole Bass, the world's strongest bodybuilder. I can't really narrow it down, but I would say any time that I had an opportunity to wrestle a legend or a, a Hall of Famer was uh, my favorite match. I can't narrow it down, but th those would be uh, the, the matches that I would say you know, are at the top of my memory bank as far as uh, highlights and uh, favorite moments throughout my journey in professional wrestling. Wow, that's, a, that's an impressive list for sure. Um, you know, speaking of favorites, what do you prefer in terms of uh, your personality? Do you prefer to be a heel or a, you know a bad guy, or do you prefer to be a face where the fans are cheering for you and the kids are going nuts and wearing your shirts and whatnot? Well, I'm I'm myself, and I think that people have to love the character that they do and let the people determine whether they want to cheer for that character. Or boo that character. And I'll make uh, an example where I look at somebody like Randy Orton. Now the fans are cheering for him, but up until as recently as a year ago, the fans were booing him. But the difference in him from today to last year or five years ago, he is the same character. He just changed the perception of how the fans view him. So it's not more or less, I would say, liking being the good guy or liking being the bad guy. You have to like the character that you do and let the people decide and change the perception of how the fans perceive you, whether, they want, whether you want them to like the character that you do or whether you want them to see the character that you portray get beaten up by their hero. So I just enjoy trying to continue to evolve my character and persona and who I am and just let the people, you know, enjoy uh, 
what it is that I'm trying to get across and, and portray when I'm out there in front of a live audience. So I just enjoy the character uh, that I play. And that was one thing I got from one of the Jake the Snake Roberts uh, behind-the-scenes interviews that he did. I don't know if it was on the WWE version of the Jake the Snake Roberts uh, retrospective or if it was from a RF video shoot interview. But he always said that whether you're the good guy and then you go to the bad guy, or if you're the bad guy and turn into the good guy, never change the character, just change the way the fans perceive the characters. That was one uh, tidbit and piece of uh, advice that I uh, took from uh, Jake the Snake Roberts, and that's what I try to do, and that's what we try to teach here at IWF Wrestling School. That's great, Kevin. Can you, can you give us some, some, you know, some, more, uh, some information to our fans on, you know, what, what, what made you start the IWF, and do you have, like, a favorite event in the history of the IWF so far? Starting the IWF, uh, that began in the beginning of 1980, 1998. So we are now in year number 14 of the Independent Wrestling Federation, and I started about two years, only two years after I started uh, my own wrestling career, because I just looked around and saw all these live events that I was wrestling on. I don't know. I just thought that they made mistakes in how they presented the show. And I just, you know, watched and learned and thought that if I started running uh, my own events with the uh, IWF, that I would learn uh, how to present a show better and try to do that, you know, each and every month that we have our live events is just try to improve the overall quality, and um, the, that's pr- pretty much the same reason why IWF Wrestling School opened, was that I, I the, the re- some of the wrestling schools I trained at, as well as some of the places I wrestled at, were just below standards as to how they should be presented to a live-paying customer. So I, I just you know thought that I could do it better if I learned as much as possible as I could. So basically the IWF started as a learning tool for me, and same as IWF Wrestling School, you know, for me to learn as as well as uh, teach. So I just, you know, thought I could do it better, and here we are 14 years later. I definitely think that you need to have a, a great passion for wrestling, obviously to start your own company and the um IWF I've been to a couple events believe it or not Kevin and uh me and my partner DG are going to come to the February event I believe if not the January event I definitely know we're coming to the February event um so you could definitely count on us and um I definitely th- uh, applaud you for definitely starting a business and I'm sure a lot of wrestlers you know have moved up in the ranks to you know the main event status so um definitely want to thank you on that uh, what kind of relationship do you currently have with the WWE well, we uh, right now have uh, one of our standout graduates, Darren Young, who started uh, wrestling in the IWF as Bone Crusher Fred Sampson. He started training here in September 2002 and was here for six and a half years before he uh, finally got signed by the WWE at the beginning of 2009. So we uh, have a great relationship with the WWE. Um, Fadi, the Arabian Bull, another former IWF heavyweight champion, was signed by the WWE back in June, and he was in Florida Championship Wrestling for about four or five months until they uh, let him go, but the door is not closed. He's going to continue to train and practice and work out and continue to improve and hopefully get another uh crack at being a WWF superstar in the near future. So anytime we see a wrestler or a graduate here at the school that uh, we feel may have something to offer the WWE, we will send in a demo DVD or or video of uh, their interviews and speaking ability as well as a match they participated in and Hopefully we will send uh, a few more wrestlers to the WWE. All right, Kevin. Um, just um, I don't have this on my rundown, but let me ask you: Did you see the movie? I mean, I, I'm assuming you have, but have you seen the movie The Wrestler? I actually finally saw some of it. I would say about three or four weeks ago. I guess they re-ran it on HBO. Um, 
I don't know. Originally, I just did not have a desire to want to see it. I don't know why. It was just something that didn't really appeal to me. And when I finally did see it, uh, you know, I thought that obviously Mickey Rourke, he did look the part and he did look up. He did look like a, you know, borderline washed up professional wrestler trying to uh, hang on to his uh, past glory which we do see a lot of out there currently today in professional wrestling so from what i saw you know i thought it was thought it was well done i'm uh i'm sure you want to ask a question or two about it and uh, that would be great yeah that's what i was going to ask you was do you think that the depiction of mickey rourke's character um is that pretty much what it is to be um, as, you know, obviously wrestlers get older, is this the depiction of what most wrestlers go through in life? I would say that if we look at two guys right now, Ric Flair, Hulk Hogan, that's Randy the Ram. <laughs> I, I, I think that pretty much sums it up. Uh, you know, I think that, uh, I, you know, and it, it's nothing against TNA. I don't want to say that, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair are too good to be in TNA, but I'll say it. I think Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan are too good to be in TNA. I think Ric Flair should have just, and Hulk Hogan should have just stayed on with the WWE as their role as ambassador and do autograph sessions, you know, at the different arenas when live event tickets go on sale and do the Make-A-Wish Foundation appearances and, you know, appear on Raw and SmackDown a couple times a year and maybe come back and wrestle once a year in a six-man tag, you know, special guest referee, and maintain that legendary status as opposed to, you know, appearing on a less-than-stellar wrestling show and less than stellar wrestling organization. I mean, you know, Ric Flair appears on pay-per-views that six to 8,000 people order. And to me, that's not what his <laughs> legacy. And again, it's not bashing TNA. It's just stating a fact. And I think that, you know, to me, that would be like when Derek Jeter retires, when he's like 50 or 60 years old, playing in like a, a beer softball league once a week on a Wednesday night, you know, at the local field, you know, it just, you know what I mean? There's something about keeping that aura and mystique and prestige about the character and the legacy that you have created and maintaining that status as opposed to, you know, I don't want to say reducing yourself to that level, but being a, you know, you don't want to be the Randy the Ram. And I think, unfortunately, that's what Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair have become. So I would, to answer your question, I would say that the wrestler is, yes, an accurate depiction as to what some professional wrestlers end up becoming. Cool. Well, at least as far as we know, um, you know, Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair aren't serving deli meat anywhere in any supermarket. Like in the you know movie. what? Hey, 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 there's nothing wrong with people that slice uh, that slice deli meat for a living, but you know, maybe Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan would be better off doing that. Appearing regularly on, I don't know. I'm just trying to trying to make a joke there, but you, you know what I mean. I mean, like when I think of Ric Flair, I still, you know, I guess he needs the money. You know, five six divorces or you know bad investments. Oh, same with Hulk, same with Hulk Hogan. A divorce, wife took everything. Bad investments. You know, uh, Hulk Hogan. I still want to think of you know. You know, the training, the prayers, the vitamins, and Ric Flair, I want to think of the Learjets, the limousines, and the women, not, you know, a 63-year-old man, you know, acting crazy and still occasionally taking to the ring every now and then just because he needs the money. I mean, I, I don't know. To me, it just killed the illusion and myth of their legend and, and legacy. But that's just my it's, opinion. Uh, it's funny that you mention that because, uh, you know, JB and I are, are big, uh, you know, grew up as a big fans of theirs. But, um, you know, you talk about those legends and those icons and everything. You mentioned some of them earlier when you were talking about matches and you were talking, uh, you know, one of our first questions. But what other well-known superstars 
you know, maybe not that level, but somebody who's – I know you have the honky-tonk man you mentioned. You talked about uh, Tito Santana. Who else has been in the IWF that, you know, has appeared that people would know, wow, you know, I've seen him, or I know him, or I grew up watching him? Well, in our uh, 14-year history of the Independent Wrestling Federation, we've had uh, Ken Shamrock, Tommy Dreamer, Stevie Richards, Blue Meanie, Nunzio, Cowboy Bob Orton, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Dr. Tom Pritchard, Chris Candido, Sonny, uh, The Patriot, Salvatore Sincere, Dawn Marie, uh, Danny Doring, Steve Carino, Simon Diamond, Bushwhacker Luke, Young Stallion Jim Powers, I'm trying to see if I've left out anybody. Off the top of my head, those are some of the superstars and legends that we have had appear on IWF Live events. Well, it's definitely definitely an impressive list of people. Um, I saw, you know, checked out your website and everything, uh, CampIWF.com, and it's, you know, to see somebody living out their dream and doing all these uh, wonderful things. And speaking of living out dreams, you mentioned Darren Young, who... As part of NXT with, uh, you know, the, the Black John Cena, as they call him, and you have Robbie E., who Rob echoes over in in TNA. When you talk about um, TNA and all that stuff, you you watch Robbie E. when he's out there? I know he was formerly the X-Division champion up until recently, but do you, do you check them out at all? I watch Robbie E.'s matches and interview segments when they are posted on YouTube a day or two after uh, you know, his TNA appearances. Uh, the last time I actually watched one of their full shows, I believe, was uh, a year ago when they did their first three-hour live Monday night. Uh, was that the one Jeff Hardy debuted and Hogan and Flair wrestled in the six-man tag or the tag team match? I guess it was a year ago when they went head up against Raw when Bret Hart returned. Yeah, 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 I remember that. And that was the last time I will ever tune in to TNA ever again. I mean, that, and again, it's not picking on them, you know, and, you know, when, I mean, TNA is the favorite wrestling, one of the favorite wrestling promotions of the internet because, you know, anything anti-number one is going to be the darling of, of the hardcore fan where, you know, they're the underdogs are trying to compete with the WWE, but I mean, even when the internet rips everything TNA does, you know, I don't want to seem to be piling on, but I would never watch a show again. I mean, that three hour Monday night show, their first big head up matchup against the WWE was probably the worst three hours. I mean, not only in wrestling, but in any televised program in the history of, of the medium, you know, it was just a brutal show. And I, I just would never, put it on again and you know uh, i am a wrestling fan and it's it's just a tough watch and you know i follow the business aspect as to how many people are watching what the ratings are how many people order the pay-per-views and you know i mean they have hulk hogan rick flair mick foley jeff hardy kurt angle uh, the list goes on and on. Kevin Nash, they had Scott Steiner, they had Booker T, they have uh, Mr. Kennedy, and the same exact amount of viewers watch now as they did three years ago, and it just seems that nothing they do is going to make a difference because the perception amongst the casual wrestling fan is, oh, TNA that's the league where the washed-up WWE guys go to as well as the guys that aren't good enough to be in the WWE. And that's just the perception that they have amongst casual fans, and that's the perception I get as a fan watching it. And it just, you know, they just need to present it in a different way. Like, when they started eight and a half years ago, when they had... Ken Shamrock and Jeff Jarrett and then all young up-and-coming guys, that was their niche. That was their hook to get people to watch. And now it became, you know, everybody that's not in the WWE, younger guys and older guys, anybody that is cut from there or 
washed up from there, then goes to TNA. You know, they should just have two to four recognizable names and just go with the new up-and-coming guys. And, you know, the new and -and up-and-coming guys are never going to connect with an audience when they have to make room for Mick Foley and Eric Bischoff and Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan and Kurt Angle and, you know... I don't get it. I just don't understand what they're trying to do, and it's a tough watch. It's a brutal watch. I mean, one of our graduates is there, and it's it's a tough watch. So I'll just catch up with Robbie E's uh, segments on YouTube because I could never sit and watch a whole. I, I couldn't sit and watch five minutes. And that, you, know, you know, you made a comment to me when uh, when we were talking about getting the interview ready and doing everything. You said that you wouldn't watch TNA live even if they were right down the street from you, and it's funny because. It it almost sounds like you work for the WWE, and we know that that's not the case, but JB and I, as fans, this is what we preach. This is how we feel. We Whenever we mention TNA, it's basically how terrible it is, and it's a shame because it should be the alternative to WWE, but it really isn't. It should be what WCW was back when WCW was great and, you know, before Vince bought it out, when they were going well in the late 90s. It should be that, but it's not. It's like the old wrestling graveyard. You know, that's where all the legends go to, to you know, die, basically. Right. I mean, when, when, when they had Ken Shamrock and Jeff Jarrett as the two main names or recognizable figures there, they were still current stars that could go. And then you had the younger guys, and it gave an opportunity of somebody like AJ Styles to become a recognizable name in wrestling. And now they're not going to have anybody break through because they're not going to have enough TV time to give them exposure because they have to find time for the people like we mentioned, Eric Bischoffs and so on and so forth. And, you know, it's just... It's just a tough watch. I mean, and, and again, not to sound pro WWE, but now look at what the WWE is doing. Where apparently they've split Nexus, and now they have a second group. Well, now isn't that the same as NWO Black and White and NWO Black and Red? Does anybody not learn from the mistakes and past failures? Where, as the old saying goes. Those that don't learn from the past are doomed to repeat it, and it just seems like they're doing the same thing that, you know, WCW did several years ago. Kevin, switching uh, switching gears here, I'd like to take, uh, you know, having uh, you on the show is great. I'd just like to get your opinion on this, and then I'll tell you what I think. But what do you think was the reason for the downfall of the golden age of wrestling, which, you know, we consider to be the late 90s when ratings were at all-time high, fans were really into it. What do you think was the single most, uh, what's the biggest reason do you feel was the downfall of that? I think now they present the wrestling as a show. They insult the intelligence of the viewer, where we all know, and it's not, it has nothing to do with the internet, Because I remember back in 1985 when wrestling was huge and it was Hulk Hogan, Rowdy Roddy Piper, uh, Rock and Wrestling Connection, Wendy Richter, Cyndi Lauper, when wrestling was hot. There were exposés on Channel 9 News, remember when um, uh, it was reporter Matthew Schwartz was at ringside for a Pro Wrestling USA event at the Meadowlands in a match between Bob Backlund and Larry Zbysko, you could find the clip on YouTube, where they caught them talk. Their two wrestlers were talking to each other and telling each other what they were going to do in the ring. And this was, you know, a huge news story. You know, they interviewed Vern Gagne in the locker room, the whole deal. You know, they were just going to the match at the Continental or IZOD Center, whatever it is now called in East Rutherford, New Jersey, to do a report on wrestling personality. And the, the news mic camera microphones accidentally picked up the two guys talking in the ring. And that the story then turned into that, that this is all, I don't want to use the word phony, but this is all a choreographed, uh, choreographed show, so on and so forth. They had the segment on Nightline back in very early 1985, or December 84, when um, 
Dr. D. David Schultz slapped John Stossel in the hallway of Madison Square Garden where they were doing a report that wrestling is phony. So it's always been out there that obviously this isn't real, so it's not like the Internet and people knowing that it's not real has killed wrestling. I think it's because the two hours that you're watching TNA or the two hours that you're watching WWE, it's presented like it's phony. Here's an example. They use words like chair shot the announcers during the broadcast. You're telling people that it's planned. It should be, my God, he picked up a steel chair and he bashed him across the head as hard as he could. It's not a chair shot. When you say chair shot, you're using insider terms to smarten up the audience. And, like, you know, I think Jim Ross is overrated as a commentator, because he would do that, too. He, he would say, my God, that was a stiff shot. So what does that mean? All the other ones were phony? What are you telling the audience? And right. slowly, over time, the credibility amongst the viewer and the trust between the product and the viewer and the fan has been lost. They're telling us this is all phony. They're telling us, we all know it's phony. But for that two hours, we need to suspend our disbelief and believe that what we're watching is real. But everything they're telling us is telling us that this is phony. The boys in the back. They use words like locker room. Oh, I'm the best performer. Wait a minute. Does Derek Jeter or Tom Brady or Ben Roethlisberger say they're the best performer? No, he says he's the best quarterback or he's the best athlete or he's the best competitor. So while you're watching the show, they're telling you that everything that goes on is you know, baloney. And I think that's what's killing wrestling is they present it like it's a joke. Now, that's just my opinion. But that opinion's backed up by the fact that, you know, six to 8,000 people order TNA pay-per-views and WWE pay-per-view buy rates are at the lowest they have ever been in their history of pay-per-views, which is less than 100,000 buys domestically. And that, that's my opinion. They present it like it's phony. Okay, Kevin, I mean, tell me what you think about this. I think, believe it or not, I think the downfall, if I'm specifically going to look at the, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to specifically look at the Golden Age, I'm going to say that it was pretty much March 31st, 2001, believe it or not. I think it's when Vince McMahon bought WCW. He bought his competition, and I just think that it was just handled in such a poor way where he could have kept the company running as a separate entity, giving it to Shane McMahon, and basically, you know, you know, let him run it as WCW. I just think that without competition, you get complacent, and mm -hmm. I think that there's a lot of commercials. I, I never, like, it really boggles my mind, and it frustrates me to know when, that when there's a match on WWE Raw Live, that they cut to a commercial during the match. I mean, that to me is an insult to the fans that are watching on TV. So I think that... Him, Vince McMahon buying his competition and then thus eliminating the competition made him complacent. I think the fans have, you know, realized this by, you know, seeing the, the viewership drop, the ratings drop. Pay-per-view, you know, the buys have dropped as well. So I think that that pretty much was the downfall of the Golden Age. Right. I mean, I'm sure you, you could tie that together, too. I mean, I'm sure there's a million different reasons, I'm sure. Uh, but that could be tied together with what I said, too, was – at the end of 99, at the end of the 90s, 99, in the 2000, 2001, wrestling became about who's running the show. Nobody cares. Does anybody really care who coaches the New York Jets as long as they win? We don't care as long as they win. Right now, Rex Ryan is considered one of the greatest coaches in Jets history because two years in a row back-to-back -back, he got them to the AFC Championship. If next year the Jets go 6-10 and 10 and don't make the playoffs, everybody will want them fired. So it's not necessarily about who runs the team or the show as long as it's successful. Wrestling became about who's running the show. Where the final, the final year or two of WCW, the way they presented the show to the audience, like I said earlier, the show was presented like it's phony. WCW, it was actually running angles as to who's writing the show. 
Bischoff, Vince Russo. Wait a minute. How is who scripts the show relevant to watching two guys competing in the ring over titles and money, where that's what professional wrestling should be, two guys in the ring fighting over titles and money. Professional wrestling should not be who's booking the card. And that's what it became. It became, it was presented like this is all phony. Who's the show? Did Seinfeld ever devote an episode as to who wrote that episode? Did Two and a Half Men <laughs> ever run an angle as to who's directing or who's producing? No, I just don't understand. Does Saturday Night Live ever do a skit as to who came up and who wrote the skit? So why does wrestling do that? And it's just presented phony, the same thing, where now it's, you know, who's the mystery GM? And the reason why, you know, they keep it going is because they have no idea who it is. <laughs> how, how do you, like, like when you do a storyline or an angle, shouldn't you have what the ending is going to be in mind first? And then you plan backwards and then present it. Like, you know, everybody in life, whether it's at your school or a sport that you play or a hobby that you have or a career or a job that you want, don't you plan your goals? Well, in five years, this is where I want to be. Or in three years, this is how much money I want to make. Wrestling, they're now coming up with angles. They don't know what the final result is. And everything is presented like it's just all a show. And I think it's insulting to the audience so uh, that, that's a good point too the downfall of wrestling was when Vince bought it and then he had the fight with Shane McMahon who owns WCW the invasion where Flair came in Stephanie running angles over who's running the organization is irre- irrelevant to the people that are watching it needs to be about the two guys in the ring that are fighting over championships and money hey that's what the UFC is and 1.2 million people order their pay-per-views uh, just about every month so they're, what they're doing works because they're presenting the UFC product like wrestling was presented in the mid-'80s. Everybody had a character. You knew who the good guys were. You know who the bad guys are. Everybody has a nickname. Each fighter has a catchphrase. Each fighter has a T-shirt. They're fighting over championships and money. UFC is number one, and they are kicking wrestling's butt every week. Yeah, it's definitely that's definitely a good point, and it's amazing you bring up the whole writing stories and everything because uh, sometimes I'll read articles by uh, Mark Madden, who was a commentator for WCW towards the tail end over on uh, WrestleZone. It's one of my favorite websites, and you know you look at the internet, the internet wrestling community, and how they feel about wrestling, and basically a lot of them feel the hardcore fans, you know, the three of us and people you know who are in the business like yourself, those who are really fans, like we want wrestling to be good, we want it to be. What it maybe not what it used to be, but better than what it used to be. Something that we can not be ashamed of saying, "Hey, I'm a wrestling fan." Sure. When people talk to me now about about wrestling, oh, wrestling, yeah, you know, like you know, it's fake, and I've known it's fake since I was a little kid. But there's almost like a shame that's attached to it because <clears throat> the truth is, it's really not that good. How would you say that the IWF is different than some of the garbage and you know, if, if I may be so bold, some of the crap? that we see on WWE TV, and none, none of us watch TNA, so that tells you how bad it is. How would you say that the IWF is different than what you see, is different than what you see on television? I don't want to use the phrase old school because I don't want people to think outdated. But to me, old school is about basics, where you come to an IWF show, you know who the good guy is, you know who the bad guy is, and you know what's at stake. And it's not about who's running the show, who scripted the show, who's pulling up in a limousine in the parking lot. Um, You know, you don't have the mystery GM sending an email as to what the main event's going to be. I mean, on the sidelines of the... Green Bay Packers or the Chicago Bears, do they not know who the coach is? I mean, are the plays being emailed to the sidelines? I mean, it is so far-fetched and so insulting to the intelligence of the viewer 
that that's what we try not to do. We we don't present it like WWE or TNA does. We present it like the WWF was presented in the mid-'80s or like the NWA was presented in the mid-'80s during their heydays. We try to learn from the past, learn from what worked, learn from what didn't work, as well as learn from what works today, like a Randy Orton or Triple H or an Undertaker or Shawn Michaels or Chris Jericho or Batista or an Edge, and also learn from what doesn't work, which is anything in TNA, uh, <laughs> and, and combine it and, and present it, because this is everyday learning experience. But, you know, I think part of the problem with some of the things in the WWE is you have people that write the shows that know nothing about professional wrestling. Hollywood writers are brought in. They know nothing about the history of wrestling. They don't know how a wrestling show should be presented. So to make the point again, do you think that the New York Yankees or the New York Mets would have somebody manage their club or be a coach or be in scouting that had no baseball background? I just don't understand. A wrestler doesn't write Blue Bloods on CBS for Tom Selleck. So then why do they have somebody that writes for Seinfeld produce a wrestling show? I don't understand. Michael Hayes is not scripting this week's Saturday Night Live. Why? Because Michael Hayes has no acting or theater or improv or, te- you know, comedy background. Michael Hayes is a wrestler. So then why do they have people from Saturday Night Live write a wrestling show? To me now, when I watch wrestling on TV, not so much, well, I guess, I guess some of the WWE and most of TNA, it almost looks like a bad Saturday Night Live skit mocking wrestling. Some of the stuff they do, all the divas, the Bella Twins with Daniel Bryan, it, 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 it's like a joke. It's like a bad skit mocking wrestling tied together with what you said about how embarrassing it is to be a professional wrestling fan. I mean, I, I was, you know, at uh, a mall this afternoon before a wrestling class to uh, do some shopping, and I was at a different mall last night. Not one, and I also, at the, in addition to being at two different malls, at the gym this morning and at the gym yesterday, not one person that I see wearing a professional wrestling shirt but I could not walk more than, honest to God I could not walk more than 50 feet at the mall or turn my head at the gym and what do I see? Tap out shirt Affliction shirt Randy Couture shirt Brock Lesnar mixed martial arts shirt that is what is hip that is what is current wrestling is yesterday the way it's presented now on TV. Perfect example. What bar or restaurant right now airs WWE pay-per-views? Which one carries it? Do you guys know or remember? I would say it's the Hooters. Hooters. That's, that's, it? Hooters. Yeah, Hooters. that's it. How outdated is Hooters? <laughs> Very. <laughs> where is UFC? Terrible. Where is UFC on? Everywhere. Every bar, every restaurant, TGI Fridays, right down the line. It is hip, it is happening, it is what's current, it is what's now, it is what is pop culture. The WWE, not just WWE, wrestling is yesterday. Hooters is yesterday. And that's where it is. Yeah. Um, Just looking at the product currently, though, Kevin, um, in the WWE, do you think, I mean, I think they should, but do you think they should end the brands? I mean, it seems like they've been doing a lot of crossovers lately. Well, they have crossovers because they don't have talent depth to fill out a two-hour show with the guys that they have, and it's nothing against the guys that they have. It's just that you cannot teach experience. These guys need five to ten years to learn and grow before they could be you know, in a main event status. I mean, let's see, they brought in Jack Swagger. He came in, he was main event champion, now he's bottom of the card. They brought in Sheamus, he came in, main event, he was a champion, now he's towards the bottom of the card. Now they have the Miz in, he's in, main event champion. Who knows, maybe two or three months he'll be back down to the bottom of the card. They're taking these young guys, throwing them against the wall, putting them in main angles, giving them the heavyweight title to see if it's going to stick. 
but it doesn't. It's I mean, look at what happened in 2004 when Randy Orton left Evolution and they made him the heavyweight champion out of nowhere. It didn't work. He basically went down to the, towards the middle of the card and worked his way up and gained experience, and now he's one of the greatest performers ever. You can't teach or give somebody experience, and they just don't have enough experienced guys to fill two hours on Monday, an hour on Tuesday, an hour on Thursday, two hours on Friday. That's six hours. Plus, every fourth Sunday is a pay-per-view. So there are some weeks that they have nine hours of original programming. Even in the 80s, there was, you know, there may not have been enough talent to fill up that amount of time. And that's why you have the guys crossing over to give each show more star power. So I also understand the reason why they do it, because sci-fi pays them a lot of money to air SmackDown. And WGN pays them a lot of money to air the one-hour episode of Superstars. So for WGN, if they get 500,000 viewers to watch Superstars, that's great. Like, as as far as wrestling goes, that's not a lot of viewers. But as far as WGN goes, what else are they going to have? It's going to get half a million viewers, unless it's a Cubs game or White Sox game. And the same for sci-fi. Right. So to, wrestling, to, to wrestling history, the SmackDown ratings are very low. But as far as sci-fi, what else is going to get two and a half million viewers? Not an incredible Hulk rerun. So to that, the station, it's good. But to the wrestling fan, it thins out the talent pool and dilutes the product, in my opinion. Again, this is my opinion, but that's why you guys have this show, so that people in wrestling can share opinions. Definitely, Kevin. Um I gotta admit, though, um, the last pay-per-view that me and DG actually ordered was probably WrestleMania, and uh, we used to actually order a lot of the pay-per-views back in the day. And it, you know, pretty much, you know, you could get the same kind of quality on TV without buying the pay-per-views these days. So we don't really buy those pay-per-views as much. But let me ask you, because um, I'm, I'm actually a big belts guy. I have a nice collection of belts in my basement. Um, do you agree with them using John Cena's custom belt as the WWE title? Well, when they can sell that for $400, that's why they do it. That's why. Which is fine. So that that's why they still use it, is because if they had a different version, they would not be able to sell that for $400. Or, you know, or like, you know, I bought a uh, replica belt at Walmart for my nephew for Christmas, and I think all the belts were... I want to say like fourteen ninety nine, but the belt that spins was twenty four ninety nine. So the reason why they have that is because when they sell the toy version, they can get ten dollars more. When they sell the real replica versions, they sell it for four hundred dollars, as opposed to a regular championship belt replica, which goes for two hundred. So there's your answer, and that's why they still have it. And it's still on the shelves. You know, it's still being produced as their merchandise or was produced, so they have to, you know, sell what's on the shelves first before they can make a change. Yeah, that's that's definitely a good point, Kevin. I actually bought my nephew, and I hate the John Cena belt. JB and I both hate the belt um, and the fact that it's it's his custom belt. You know, plus another smoking skull belt. Nobody else wore it, but that's a great point. It is a business, and that's why they sell it, and we understand it, but we just hate it. As wrestling fans, uh, who makes your belts, by the way, just out of, uh, out of curiosity? Wow, well, I, I, you know, somebody ordered it for us. I don't even remember uh, the exact place where they got them from, but we had somebody a couple years ago that uh, did that for us. But in the near future, it will be time for some new gold. We will have some new gold made uh, hopefully before the end of uh, 2011, so that will be something that our wrestlers and uh, the fans can look forward to. That's, that's actually pretty cool because, again, JB and I are both big uh, into belts. I don't have a collection hoarded in my basement like he does, but that's, uh, that's besides the point. As we, uh, you know, as, as we close out the show, um, you know, I have a couple, a couple more questions. Do you have any thoughts? This is a two-pronged question. Any thoughts on the uh, 40-man Royal Rumble coming up on Sunday and also the WWE Hall of Fame? Uh, Shawn Michaels is the only person who's been announced for whatever reason, but uh, do you think there's anybody who should be in it that isn't in it? The Hall of Fame? 
I guess you could start with uh, Bruno San Martino and uh, Macho Man Randy Savage, but I guess for whatever reason, you know, politics play into anything in life, so uh, that might be the reason uh, why they are not in it. But, you know, again, the Hall of Fame is to sell tickets to go and watch that function as well as sell it as a bonus feature on the WrestleMania DVD. So, again, the Hall of Fame, just like the John Cena spinning championship belt, is for marketing and uh, merchandise purchases. So that's why it, you know, I don't want to say it's not an official Hall of Fame, but it's not a, and I don't want to use, I don't want to say it's not a legitimate Hall of Fame, but it it is what it is, and it's for, you know, marketing and merchandising purposes. But, you know, that's why the WWE is as successful as it is, even though, you know, right now it's wrestling business is down as a whole. They are still number one, and that's for a reason, because everything they do is geared towards selling a ticket or a piece of merchandise, and that's what any successful business uh, should do. But, yeah, I would say Bruno San Martino and Macho Man Randy Savage should be there. And as far as the Royal Rumble this year, it is a 40-man rumble, probably because pay-per-view buy rates are down and are alarmingly low. And with the recent retirements and people leaving, where from last year's WrestleMania to this year's WrestleMania, there is no Shawn Michaels, there is no Batista, there is no Chris Jericho. Uh, Triple H is just coming back in the nick of time, hopefully to be at WrestleMania. Undertaker may not be 100% healthy in the nick of time for this year's WrestleMania. So I guess the 40-man Royal Rumble is to drum up some more interest in that pay-per-view to build momentum to WrestleMania. But then what are you going to do next year? A 50-man Rumble? Then what's the year after? A 70-man Rumble? Just like the original ECW went from one match a night with tables, chairs, and blood to two matches a night to three matches a night. And then before you knew it, Every match was tables, ladders, chairs, blood, and barbed wire, and people falling off scaffolds. And then before you know it, they went out of business. So sometimes you can't hot shot interest in things because then, you know, how are you going to top it? So, you know, what are you going to do next year? How are you going to top the 40-man rumble? So that's how I uh... look at it. It's definitely a good point, Kevin. Um, as, as we are wrapping up the show, we have a, you know about a minute left. Um, how can fans get in touch with you in the IWF? They can uh, go to our website. We have campiwf.com for the wrestling school. We have wrestlingiwf.com for our live events. Or you could just type in Wrestling IWF in Facebook and Twitter. And we will come up, and we are located formerly West Patterson, New Jersey, but they have since renamed the town Woodland Park, New Jersey. So we've been here so long, we've withstood uh, a name change in our town. (laughs) I feel old. (laughs) Well, Kevin, um, you know, we we truly, it's an honor, and it was a privilege having you on the air. We, We really appreciate it. We hope that you uh, enjoyed your time with us here on Pure Gold, and thank you for taking time out, especially a busy man such as yourself, to talk to us. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can have you on again in the future. Anytime. I'd uh, love to do it. I had fun over this past hour, and hopefully you guys have fun the next time you come here to an IWF live event and go Seton Hall Pirates. <laughs> oh, I'm a Seton Hall alum. That's there you awesome. Go. That I got a love That was my brother. <laughs> That, that's awesome, Kevin. Again, uh, we thank you. We uh, we appreciate you coming on. Uh, you know, have a wonderful evening, and I will definitely be talking to you soon. So you take care from JB and myself. Uh, have a good one. Thanks, guys. You too, folks. Take care, Kevin. Um, folks, as always, our our contact information as we as we close this wonderful show out with Kevin. Our call in number seven one four three six four. Four seven two one. You can email us puregoldpg at yahoo dot com. Follow us on Twitter puregoldpg. 
you have any comments or questions, folks, you can check us out at Pure Gold PG at Facebook, our YouTube channel, Pure Gold PG, and JB and myself, as always, write articles for SportsRages.com. Folks, tune into our show on Thursday night, two days from now, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where you'll hear Mr. Pyro Falcon, writer for OnlineOnslaught.com. And also next Tuesday, we're going to have a special show at 9 o'clock to have Keith Elias on with us, former New York Giant and Indianapolis Colt. Folks, for JB, this is DG of Pure Gold reminding you to always keep it PG. Thank you, Kevin Knight. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Good night, everyone. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VTW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.